Anyway, uh, we have a new guest uh, in the in the studio this morning. Someone that we've had uh, many many times uh, over the years, and that's Senator Timmy Dooley. Timmy, good morning and welcome. Morning, Jim. How are you? Not too bad. No, we're all reasonable. I suppose with the weather, Timmy, it's we're the old thing that keeps everybody happy, isn't it? Yeah, the sun it, is shining. The it does. <laughs> the faces lift. Yeah, no, it's it, it's great. Um, I think it has kind of brought into stark focus what we missed kind of through July and, 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 and August unfortunately. And we did with, with cloudy and it's dreary old, days. It's the old story Jim when, when we'd be heading back to your school in <laughs> September and then later to John's school the sun would always pick up and uh, September was always a, a good month in, 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 in my uh, yeah. memory. In my memory the weather yeah. improved as we went back to school. But well, wasn't it lovely to go back in nice weather? It was, was, absolutely. You know, yeah, I mean, better yeah. than going back in wet weather. Uh, indeed, indeed, yeah. indeed. And you won't ask him now to talk about where the co-op uh, came into the uh, the experience <laughs> of going back. It was an integral part of our upbringing, John. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> <It's really laughs> I mean, uh, what, what was going on behind, behind, behind my back was quite unforgivable. Yeah, <laughs> I have no doubt. But, but minor by what goes on now. <laughs> I hear some of the stories from, 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 from the younger cohort of population and they they put us to shame as to how tame we were. So <laughs> <laughs> our stories don't carry very well anymore. They just don't have the same... They don't have the same significance with yeah. some of the, the antics now, but that's that's life, I guess. Jimmy, you were you were uh, we saw you in the newspapers there recently. You were in Ukraine um, yeah. as part of uh, your party. This is the European yeah. People's Party delegation, mm. isn't it? Yeah, we, we we've been there a couple of times, and we were invited back again two, two, almost three weeks ago now for their Independence Day. Uh, when I said to my wife before I I left, I said I'm, I'm going to Ukraine again to celebrate their Independence Day I've been invited and she looked at me and she said independent they're, yeah. they're still in, they're, they're, they're yeah. still occupied um, but notwithstanding that uh, I suppose from a from their own people's perspective they try to have some semblance uh, of normality um, and they, they do recognise that they did break free once before uh, and they have managed to retain most of their territory um, and they're celeb- they, you know, they were they were celebrating that. It was low key. Mm. Um, it was an opportunity for them to invite politicians from around Europe to, I suppose, show uh, the peoples of Europe um, the preparation that Ukraine is making in its desire to be a member of the European Union. Um, and they like to keep that link and that dialogue going. Um, no, no different to, I suppose, what other non-European countries on the Eastern Front did mm. up till 2004 when they, when, when they joined the European Union. And on this occasion, um, I think life was back to a greater level of normality in the capital cities. That's not to take from the fact that they're under threat on a daily basis from drone attacks, from missile attacks. They have pretty good air defence systems put in mm. place around the capital and one or two, one or two of their main cities um, but other parts, say around Odessa and places like that, are, are heavily bombed. And then on the eastern region, um, that's where the, the war front is. And, and they're holding solid in the trenches there. And they're, they're fighting and losing men mm. every day of the week. Uh, do you see an end on. to it at all? Or how do you see it ending? It's really difficult. Um, I mean, I've noticed some kind of world personalities have been indicating in, in, in recent weeks um, Elon Musk, the, the, the owner of what was Twitter and is now X, that social media platform, and so many other companies. Um, he's, he's kind of uh, an international um, personality of some note. He's suggesting that, um, and it's something that I've heard elsewhere, that, that somehow there should be an attempt now 
uh, to draw the lines where the Russians uh, and the Ukrainians meet um, and that that be the settlement zone. Um, I think that would be very hard for Ukrainian people, no more than ourselves. Yeah. I mean, Can they take it at, at, at leadership level? I, I don't think so. I don't think the Ukrainian people would accept it. They've lost so many of their sons and daughters. Yeah. Mm. Uh, fathers, mm. mothers. Um, we don't, Timmy, we don't hear when we look at, 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 at these visitors, okay, mm. our refugees, we, we, we sometimes miss the reality that their husbands, their sons, their brothers, okay, are in the front. Mm. And that telegram could arrive. And it does. Saying, does it? It does. Have you, have yeah. you met that? I, I have on a number of occasions because there's so many here now like it, there's there's upwards of 80 heading to 80,000 Ukrainians I think we also have to be a little bit cautious as well because up to now we've been familiar with refugees and asylum seekers coming from warm torn countries that were poverty stricken in the first instance so we've, we've seen people managing to get here with virtually nothing um, somebody stopped me recently and said oh, those Ukrainians got I was looking at a few Ukrainian. There's BMWs and there's Mercedes, and sure, sure, what have they done here at all? Almost forgetting that Ukraine was a was a wealthy enough country. It was doing well. These people yeah. had jobs. They had careers. Yeah. They're well educated. The only reason they're here is not not because they're poverty stricken. It's because their homes have been obliterated. It's been, they've been bombed out of existence, yeah. and they've managed to put together whatever bits and pieces they can. Some people flew here, some people drove here. Um, but their homes are gone, their livelihoods are gone, their careers are gone. They're here seeking our support and our protection. So it's not, they're not looking for charity. They want to work in the main. And we certainly need some of the skill sets. There's yeah. no doubt about it. Um, and they will be a positive. In, in this week's media, uh, there was reference to the, uh, the situation of rebuilding. Thoughts are beginning to move a little bit towards reconstruction of infrastructure. Yeah, very is much it, so. Is actually, it yeah. yeah, is is that a, a kind of is it a possibility possible to a bit early? Um, well, well, yes and no, yes and no. Whole scale reconstruction will take decades, but there are key roads and bridges that were bombed in the early stages that are under construction right now. Um, the, the Russian army came very close to, to Kiev in the early stages, just to the northwest, into places like Irpin and Bucha. And that's when we first started to get the television images of the bodies that had been buried, and we saw all the bodies being excavated um, to try and identify uh, identify those people. And, and the towns around there were completely obliterated. Now, the, 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 the Russian army retreated and were pushed back out of there. And that's an area now where they're trying to rebuild homes because mm. there's quite a lot of refugees in encampments in uh, western Ukraine. Um, weathers get very cold there, so it's not really great to have them in those conditions over the winter. So they're trying to rebuild some of the homes and the roads and, and, and the key infrastructure that's there. Power stations get regularly bombed. Water and sewerage facilities get regularly targeted. Um, by drone attacks and missile attacks. So that level of reconstruction is ongoing. And like there's something like, I think, close to 6 million out of the 44 million that have, have moved. Now there's still a huge population there that need to be supported yeah. and maintained. And we, we have, a, here in Ireland, we have a, quite a skill set in bridge construction. Yeah. Uh, you know, haven't we? Yeah, what, 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 what they're looking for is um, 
people with design experience, engineering experience, project management and know-how mm. um, that can do it in a faster and a better way. I mean, their, their whole plan is uh, as, they, as they rebuild and build back, rebuilding back better. Yeah. Um, to a modern standard, to a higher standard, to completely different, um, r- you know, uh, construction guidelines and, and systems that have changed very significantly. Uh, so they're looking for uh, companies at scale here with that kind of expertise, which we're very good at in terms of roads and bridges. And as well as that, then, I mean, it's a country that wants to become part of the European Union, so they have to build up their telecoms infrastructure which are controlled by Russian oligarchs at the minute, so they need, they need to look at that. They're looking at how does broad one actually uh, effectively look at that very issue? Well, it'll be difficult for them until they have um, some alternative that that's prepared to run their systems. Um, now, I mean, I think what they would say to us about their telephone systems, whilst they're Russian oligarchs, their 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 commercial interest is now in mm-hmm. uh, in Ukraine. But until they manage to separate that out, um, they're going to be, to some extent, beholden um, to Russian influence. Um, and obviously that's part of any mm-hmm. any settlement that's reached or any, any agreements that are ultimately reached. So there's a long way to go, to just uh, this kind of a long-winded way of answering your question, when, when will it end? That, that's a really difficult question. Mm-hmm. Um, they, if you ask Ukrainian officials, politicians, Ukrainian people, they're very simple. It will end when they beat Russia. Yeah. That's their mantra, that's uh, their resolve. And isn't, isn't that an issue for Europe as well? I, I mean, I don't mean this to sound funny now, but I mean, Putin is like a, a toothache, mm. if you like. And you can take certain, you can take drugs mm. or you can maybe get a filling or maybe some. Mm. But at the end of the day, not just for Ukraine, but for all of Europe and certainly all of Eastern Europe, I mean, extraction is the only, yeah. uh, is the only thing that you can do with a with a tooth that's causing a huge problem. Well, that, well, that, well that's, that's the difficulty. And I mean, it, like, Russia invaded uh, eastern Ukraine and, 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 and Crimea in 2014, and that was a territory that had some level of Russian speakers, some level of kind of overlap between Ukraine and Russia. It was somewhat disputed. Um, and I think, you know, Ukraine kept a defensive line uh, al- along, that, along that Donbass region and, and, and Crimea. Um, and there was an expectation that that's as far as Russia were going to go. But when the international community didn't really get involved then, mm. wasn't talked about in the media, NATO didn't get involved, the Americans didn't, the Polish didn't, Putin just saw an opportunity, mm, mm. you know, eight years on. And yeah. the question I think that's rightly asked in capitals around Europe, if we were to give in or if NATO or the Allies, as they might be referred to, pull back from supporting Ukraine and allow Ukraine to fall... Who's next up? Um, is it Estonia? Is it Finland? Is it Poland? Mm. Is it Georgia? Along that line, where, wh- who's yeah. next? Um, but you have to stand up to a bully, don't you? And Putin is... You do, and it's at a huge cost. It's, it's yeah, a cost it is of lives. Unfortunately. Yeah, and, and you know, people would say, and rightly so, where are the peace talks? There's, there's men and women dying every day of the week on both sides. So, so is, is, the, um, is the encumbrance on Europe to try to broker a deal but it goes back to your point mm. how do you broker a deal with somebody like Putin mm. um, are there many are there a lot of pu- we call it Putinism uh, is pu- Putinism uh, all pervasive all embracing in Russia or is it yeah, fear well, there is there is opposition parties um, and, and we're, we're kind of connected to a number of um, non non Putin parties sort of democratic parties that are there but they get no chance 
they get no chance. I mean, they're regularly, their offices are raided, um, mm. they're hassled, they're arrested, they're persecuted in every way mm. possible mm. to the extent that now because it's such a clampdown, because there's a war on, many of them have left, they've managed to, to sort of, uh, you know, abscond, disappear um, mm. because of fear for their existence. Mm. Um, I suppose what Putin has succeeded in doing, and look, I'm no, I'm no expert on Russia, but y- you'd seen the various different fall of, 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 of Russian authoritarian rule for you know from the Glasnost and Perestroika area of um, uh, Gorbachev and others and then Yeltsin came along and really was a weak leader had his own issues and the, the, the Russian economy collapsed and R- Russians who were dependent on strong leaders and dictators really to keep their, mm. their, 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 their country up lost heart mm. Putin gave them back a sense of confidence in themselves and in their yeah. country and in their flag. And I suppose like every megalomaniac just just, just took it too far. I mean, mm. Russia was doing well. Um, you had the Americans talking to the Russians. The kind of Cold War hostilities were, were at, they were at acceptable levels. There, there were talks at one there stage of, of Russia joining yeah, NATO. Absolutely. You know, there mm. were... There were, there, there were, there were there was, I won't say there was a friendliness, but there was a, a, certainly a real cooling of the tensions. Now, nobody trusted Russia. Not that other countries don't always trust the Americans, either in terms of the way they gather intelligence and all of that. That's a, that's a part of, of, of modern economics as, as, as well as military side of things. So Russia was always seen as that underbelly. They've, they've managed to uh, infiltrate computer systems probably better than most for nefarious reasons and that, that has been a, a worry too worry, so that has yeah. given them greater strength Do you notice <coughs> in the last month or six weeks the narrative in relation to reporting uh, has changed somewhat I mean for example uh, some people would say that we have moved here in Ireland a little bit along the line towards neutrality being broken yeah, and a, <coughs> a, a, a bit of that's coming from looking at who the aggressor is now mm. and saying, well, can you be neutral in that environment? And I think we have to hold our military neutrality because I, I don't think we have a history of, of militarism. So mm. we don't really have that much to offer, in my view. Where we've been really good is at peacekeeping, keep enforcement, peace enforcement, diplomacy. Uh, and we do that well. And I think... And I'm not playing the the Fianna Fáil card here per se, but you know, Michal Martin, as as the deputy leader of the state, is astonished in Israel this week, meeting both the Israelis and the Palestinians, yes. meeting yeah. Netanyahu and Mahmoud Abbas, um, and saying to the Israelis, "You have nothing to fear. We're, we're not anti-Semitic in Ireland. We respect and recognise that you've had a, a horrible history. You have been persecuted, but by the same token." We'll call you out on what we think you're doing wrong right now, what you're doing to the Palestinian people, not, not, not taken from the threat that you find yourself in, but expanding uh, you know, illegally into their territories and building settlements at homes just to force them into capitulation is not the way forward. So, so that kind of stuff works well from a, a diplomatic perspective. It's not going to change mm. the situation there overnight. But it's a it, it's something that we have, and I think we hold dearly. We can do that because we're independent. We're not, uh, you know, or, or we're we're not militarily aligned, and we don't really have a, a history of understanding military planning. We're good at demining, and we're good at cleaning up after mm. uh, after the mess. And I think that's what we should concentrate on. Yeah, maybe uh, maybe it's a post-Putin 
Russian government that that maybe our influence and strength yeah. might come into play yeah, rather than yeah, now. I, I think so. Yeah, I mean, I don't. We're a small country, and as that we don't have that military might. Just on that point, Timmy, I mean, this is the problem, isn't it? Even for our own our own military capacity, our own obligations to the European Union in terms of patrolling our waters. Uh, we had the Russian warships. That was just sort of a, I, I, I don't know, a, a, a sensational sort of thing. But simply, there are so many underground cables uh, linking Europe via in in Irish waters. We have our obligations under under uh, the EU to uh, patrol fishing, and so it's domestic as well as foreign uh, elements. Uh, and yet, in the news, we're reading that we can't put ships into the Atlantic Ocean for lack of recruitment. Uh, there was a significant government, uh, was it a white paper? It was a report, mm. wasn't it, uh, on the state of our military uh, capacity, which which uh, was really rather shocking to read, I have to say, and it proposed, I think, three different strands or options for the government. Where are we at that now? I mean, this is, of course, the news cycle. We tend to forget these mm. things, and it's only when when you were mentioning mm. our neutrality that that popped into my mind. Yeah, so so there was a very comprehensive review, um, and I think it was under Simon Coveney's watch as Minister for Defence, and government commitment was made to increase the spending on our own military capabilities um, over the next five years. A very significant investment. And it's not to build on, uh, there was pushback against that because it was a view we were tooling up to become part of NATO, to lose our military neutrality. It, it wasn't. It was entirely, as you say, to protect and defend our, our own key assets. Um, we're dependent on the Brits. With all, mm. our, with all, with all our, 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 our dad's army talk about <laughs> um, our standing up to the Brits, we're dependent on them. We yeah. were dependent on them for a long time for search and rescue off the west coast of Ireland right. uh, until we got our own act together. Um, and put in place that search and rescue, which is based, you know, four, four or five locations around Ireland, Shannon being one of the main bases. Um, so we didn't have to have the, 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 the UK uh, military um, help us with, with searching out. What we now need, though, is um, the capacity to protect, as you say, our, 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 our zones um, on the West Coast. And really importantly, the underground cables, because we have seen what, what, what Russia has done. For a long time, we took to few Russia's a long way away. They'll have to come through somebody else to get to us. The Brits are there anyway. They'll defend all of that Northern Territory and sure the rest of it, the Americans will. Well, truth be told, there's international waters there which our key economic interests are, are retained in with that um, underground um, or underwater, under seawater. Um, broadband connections so it goes back to the old telephone wires which were there which are now well outdated now it's fiber cable which connect most of our major enterprises banking financial services we saw what happened right in the middle of covid when uh, a russian hacking uh, group uh, attacked our health services put our whole mm. Um, mm. hse in a tailspin at a time of crisis so that's the kind of thing that we should be protecting. That's that's modern warfare. How, so bullets yeah. and bombs aren't really where it's at anymore. It's it's yeah. bots and it's bites and yeah. it's uh, what goes on in in, in in cyber world. But the issue around we can only put can, I don't know how many ships we can. Like, what is yeah? The there problem? is a recruitment. Yeah. Well, I mean, when I tell you what I think that the first problem is we have underpaid our military for far too long at a time when the economy has grown. Um, the opportunities for men principally. Uh, is better um, with with skills. They can get paid more elsewhere. Their sense of 
pride in their country or their desire to defend their country is one thing. Yeah, but it only take you so well, far. Yeah. You know, the old story it doesn't put bread on the table. Um, and I think we have paid, we've underpaid our military service for too long. Um, and, I, you know, we need, we need to get that right. And is that, that is that is part of the plan. Is that, that is under talked the about at parliamentary? Uh, it is. Yeah. It, it is very regularly. Um, and I think that, that that's why that report was commissioned. And that's why the government are actioning that report. Now, it takes time to recruit. Look, we've situation here in East Clare at the minute with a, a lack of bus drivers to provide buses yes. to schools. Mm. It's kind of the same thing. Mm. Um, we For far too long, and I've talked about this before, and it, some people will listen, some, some people won't, but I think we've undervalued some of our key service providers. We've spent a lot on education over the years. We've, you know, it has got us out of the sort of economic morass that we had in the 50s and the 60s where people had to leave. So free education did so much. We then started pushing third level and fourth level education, and that's all you hear about. But if you're somebody in school who said, you know, maybe third level isn't for me, there isn't, or there hasn't been, focus on identifying other streams um, of, of, of quality work. So, so we, we, we undervalue person that that drives the bin truck mm. but if the bin truck didn't come for a fortnight or three weeks look at the mess our societies would be in mm. we undervalue some of the the more manual labor type work and as a result um we you know there there isn't a career for them they're, they're they're poorly poorly paid and when some other opportunity comes along they jump at it to, to me uh, am i picking up from what you're saying mm. that you favor um cutting the cake a little bit more. Uh, you know the cake I'm talking about. I do. Um, uh, would you belong to the camp that would say, yeah, we've got to actually use uh, some of the <coughs> corporate tax uh, benefits? Uh, it's, it's, it's corporate tax, but it's not all state funding. It's how, it's how we value people. Like, uh, like, if you look at the discussion that was around um, more hospital consultants, mm. Uh, some signed up, some didn't. Um, and I think people looked on in, in amazement. You know, they're being offered maybe 300,000 a year, 280 to 300,000 a year. And they're not accepting it because they want to do private work as well. Mm. Now, that's fair enough. You're skilled. You have that skill set. And uh, at the same time, you have a bus driver on 11.60 an hour. You know, as a society, I think we, we, we sometimes, we revere those people who are highly paid. We, As a society, we bow and scrape to some people that are in the upper echelons that are very well paid. And we fail to recognise a cohort of people around which we cannot survive without. And tell me, who, who determines, ultimately, the actual form which the budget is going to take in the very near future? Who actually, who are the decision makers? Well, a lot of the preparatory work has been done, so it's, it's done every year. So you take the same template and you start looking at, well... What has happened here? How much do we need to add on there? What's the, p- the projected growth in this area? How many more kids will be in school next year? So how many more teachers will we need based on CSO numbers and all of that? So that's kind of how, how you plan what you've already done. But from time to time, a situation will arise, whether it's, as we've had in the past, say, the hospitality sector was under pressure. So then there was a proposal, well, we've got to reduce the VAT there. Yes, I think and we did. And we did. And now we're put, we put it back up again, and no, nobody likes to see a tax going back up. And then we've had housing as, a, as an issue for the last number of years, so there's very significant amounts of money over the last four or five budgets gone into the uh, procurement of and building of social housing. And that's 
that's starting to have an impact. It still has a good bit to go, so that's going to be front and centre. There's very significant money gone into the health service over and above the normal increases over the last five or six years, and we're starting to see that have benefits, but it, it'll have to continue. But I think where, where we're now seeing, because of the in significant inflationary pressures, some of which have come from the war and other, other reasons, has pushed up the cost of living. I don't think low rates have come up commensurate with that. So if you're on the minimum wage, um, it's been it's been moved up from about whatever it was, 9.50 a couple of years ago to whatever it is, 10.60, 10.70 now. But if the cost of energy, the cost of milk, the yeah. cost of food and everything has gone up, uh, th- there are people operating at just about that breakthrough level. So I'm, I'm a very strong advocate for a, a, a lower rate of pay at the level that's, they call it a cost of living that's worked out by statisticians and, and economists that said that's that's what you need to live because oftentimes people are paid below that and they're dependent on maybe a little pension that they have so in the case of say school bus drivers they're predominantly retired guards maybe retired teachers so somebody who needs another little bit yeah. to get by on a low pension and that takes from the valuing of their career if they didn't have that income or if they weren't doing another nixer for cash somewhere else Mm. Okay. You're forcing people into I'm, a kind of a, a black economy because we don't value I'm, as a society. I'm going to give you an jobs. opportunity. I'm holding my hand the keys of the kingdom, and I'm going to give. Now, them as to a you. Republican, he's going to object to that immediately. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> okay. The well, keys well, of the republic. Well, keys of the republic. Well, yeah, yeah. well said. And I, I said we had Michael McNamara in here. Um, some weeks back and we we put that to him as well instead of being on the periphery of decision making you are now the holder of you we're elevating you hmm. to Taoiseach right okay uh, what would you do to change the drift that is implicit in what you're have been saying there I, 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 I'd move quickly towards the principle of a living wage uh, so that nobody had to. Everybody will have different costs in life and stuff like that. So there's 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 ways of assisting people through grant aid, and we do that with assistance for third level education and various supports. But I think you encourage somebody to go out to work. So in order to make it worth their while, that they can feed their kids, that they can have some sense of dignity, that they haven't to be just scraping. Uh, you have to come up with a system that says. If you're working 40 hours a week, you should be able to live on it. Now, if you want to do other things in life, you need to get more. You've got to be more creative and maybe you've got to get additional training. So there's a whole swathe of jobs there that people just, quite frankly, cannot afford to take. They can't afford to take it. Um, Because the people that are doing it are principally, depending on some other additional retirement all of that kind of thing we have to look at retirement too on the other side people are being forced well they were being forced to retire we've taken away that and that's important because people are living longer and they want to work longer and that's fine Um, and those that want to retire should have I think a a reasonable amount and that's not going to make millionaires out of anybody but it's going to put in place a living wage for somebody how far left of centre are you going I don't think that's left of centre at all. That's not that's right. not suggesting that you that you nationalise services and that the state provides everything. It's not actually. It's 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 saying 
what kind of a what kind of a society do we do we want that rewards people fairly for the work that they do to the extent that they're able to live out their life with some dignity like when we were growing up the, the people weren't weren't wealthy but you know a, a teacher I, I i think w- was expected to be able to buy a house rear their kids send them to school and college um, and have a reasonable life I, i'm not so sure they'd be able to do that now certainly um, not on one income no not on one income and that was the case and and they were considered middle class doing okay not mightily well off but didn't need to turn anywhere other than mm-hmm. maybe to a car loan from the credit union to smoothen out the sort of the cash flow mm-hmm. but I, I think a young teacher now starting out with two or three kids mm-hmm. or even two teachers trying to, to raise a family and not have to resort to mm-hmm. you know it's, you know considerable borrowing to put kids through college you're, with you're, the costs that are there your vision there is going to cost a lot of money well, it's how you it's it, it, it's how you reform society. You can't you wouldn't do it overnight. But I think what you'd be trying to do is start at the people who are least well paid, and try to get more people into the workforce. There are people for sure who just remain outside the workforce. Um, Jimmy, for that reason, yeah. Can I change it a little bit mm. and uh, get your thoughts on the current state of of the political parties? Mm. Uh, according to the polls, Fianna Fáil aren't doing as well as they would have done in the past there uh, is it around 35 oh yeah no we'd be well less than that well, around the 20s, that, 20s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and of course local elections are imminent um next year and we are presumably heading into uh, a national election at some point thereafter uh what wh- is there any are there any grumblings within Fianna Fáil are people in our TDs and senators happy about the current situation uh, can Fianna Fáil turn it around? I think we can turn it around. I think we can improve in the polls. Um, I think a lot now comes down to uh, uh, the political campaigns that go on. I mean, I saw a significant change in the last campaign over the course of latter days. I think Fianna Fáil dropped the ball on that occasion by not having a consistent message on, on pensions and retirement ages. Um, and I think we, at a time where things were you know, economically good, people were, were focused on issues like that um, and we were sticking to maybe outdated numbers that said we couldn't afford uh, not to go to 66 or 67 um, for, for, for retirement recognising that we should have been saying if somebody wants to retire at 65 we let them retire at 65 mm-hmm. not everybody wants to some people want to work on so to, to move that th- those boundaries and I think that became a negative in the campaign I think on this occasion it'll be different. Locals are, are, are usually different because people concentrate on local personalities. Um, is there space for two Fianna Fáil TDs? I think there is. Um, I think it's possible. I think we were very close to it the last time. Um, I probably got caught on the basis that I was considered to be safe and that there was, you know, that, that people said, ah, he's, he's, he's home and hosed and vote for the other fellow and that's fine. That, that Look, that happens in campaigns. Uh, I think there is. Um, I think the... The polling, when it's done, is based on party affiliation. So when the pollster knocks on your door or mine, will you vote for who the next time? Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael. And people will give a preference for the party. It changes during the course of an election, principally because personalities come into play, people know you or whatever, and it's they're not voting for the party, they're voting for the individual. And that has changed over time. Fianna Fáil support in the past used to be just around the party or... A bit like what's happening with Sinn Féin now, it used to be they were voting for Dev. 
Now we're going back quite a while, but that's who they were voting for. And it's the same. I mean, the stories of the last election where people entered uh, polling stations looking to vote for Mary Lou. Um, <laughs> yeah. you know, people who clearly, you know, and, and, and you hear those stories. Um, and, and they're true. I mean, because they run a very tight ship and it's just about the party rather than the individual. And maybe some of the personalities haven't been developed. And that changes over time, too. So, yeah, I mean, I think the next mm. election will be really interesting. I mm. think there'll be a, a different suite of um, issues by the time the election comes. Yeah. Um, at the moment, and when the, and when the numbers are counted, and you'll be hoping that you're there, uh, I presume, and let's say Sinn Féin are the largest party mm. uh, arising out of that election, would you and would you go into government with Sinn Féin if, if it came? Uh, personally, I wouldn't have, have, have a problem about aligning with another party. It's about their policies. Um, and as the policies stand at the moment? Well, I think the difficulty that I would see with Sinn Féin policies, um, they tend to be headline uh, without um, a costing. Uh, for example, Sinn Féin have been touting this idea around energy prices um, that uh, you'd put a cap. So we all like the idea of not having, you know, that you set the price of electricity at X um, and you don't pay any more. Now, that, that's very captivating. I'd, I'd rock up to that myself. But when you scratch the surface, what that actually means is that the government will now pay the energy company the difference between what they're giving you to yeah. and what their costs are. They had a costing in their last budget that said that's going to cost one and a half billion. But when it was worked out over the course of the period of time, it was going to be nine billion. So you'll win votes for a while and you'll win support on that. But when during the course of a campaign, when that's analysed and critiqued, people will make up their own mind on that. And maybe they'll still vote at a level that makes them the biggest party. But you you won't run a you won't you won't run a government. With, with with sound bites, um, but mind you, mind you, sound bites have a they have the capacity uh, to to, to attract votes. They do, and I, I think there was, and you'll know this, Jim, as 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 a history teacher. But um, I think it was a, a a U.S. governor Mario Cuomo who was in the state of New York, and sure. he was questioned about at a later stage. Well, you, you didn't say that while you were running for office. <laughs> yes. <I> said, well. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, when you're campaigning, you campaign in poetry. When you govern, you govern in <laughs> prose. <laughs> so, so, so there's a bit of a, there's a bit of that, you know, for for sure. But but you get found out then, and that's 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 not great either. That used to be the case with all political parties mm. that you'd fight the election on a right. narrow, a kind of a narrow base of promises it, um, it comes back to bite you though it does and and maybe in a different time people weren't as um, as quick to react or reflect it say well sure look at they did the best now people remind you very quickly and you know political systems and parties are provided with experts in advance who are very quick at costings you have the you know the various uh, financial advisory teams and groups um, that are that are set up as independent of government to advise the public as well as the government about the legitimacy or, mm. or not of a claim that you might make. And you have to live by that. Mm. So it remains to be seen. Okay, listen, we'll, we'll leave it there to me. The clock has caught up with us. We're delighted to welcome you to the studio as always. And, and you've always very good to make yourself available whenever we give you a buzz. Actually, it's a pleasure. So, um, listen, many thanks for joining us. and. You know, good luck we'll on you around. Yeah, we, we will see you around, yeah, and we'll we'll yeah. we'll put on a little <laughs> bit of music now. We're or we have the Rolling Stones this morning, and you'll um, 
recognise this. You can't always get what you want. <laughs> so very apt way to finish it off. Maybe it's a good job. Yeah. Yeah. Timmy, yeah. thank you very Not much. Thank, thank you very much, Timmy.